Welcome to Regarding, Regarding Henry. The podcast where Brad and Adam regard the Mike Nichols and J.J. Abrams film regarding Henry. They're going to take care of you. Well, I don't want them to take care of me, Bradley. How you doing, Brad? Pretty good. Pretty good. I'm ready to uh, regard some Henry today. Yep, I've regarded some Henry. Or I've even got, I guess we have to regard regarding Henry. Yes, I'm sorry. I've regarded regarding Henry, and I'm currently regarding regarding Henry. Exactly. So that's what we're doing. Yeah, it's a it's a uh, it's kind of a movie that in some ways like time forgot. Maybe. Maybe. I feel like I I remember it for whatever reason. It, like when it, I remember when it was out in the theaters and there was like commercials for it on TV. Oh, me too. Every. You know, every five minutes. And, like, it's stuck in my mind. Like, I remember that. I never watched it. I did. Like, you say, regarding Henry, I'm like, oh, yeah, I, I know exactly what that is. Yeah, I watched it. Not in the theater, obviously, but, like, maybe it was on, like, a free HBO weekend or something. Something like that. And I watched You're it. You're hoping maybe there's a scene where Annette Benning takes her top off or something like you that. You never know. You it's never the free know. HBO weekend. It's like, okay, let's see. Uh, it was rated R, so there was a good chance of that, at least I thought. Alas, that didn't happen. Nope. You had to wait for the grifters for that one. Ah, oh, Brad. <sighs> Moving on. Moving on. <laughs> <laughs> so we're regarding the movie regarding Henry. We're regarding regarding Henry during this episode, as uh, as our announcer friend has, has hinted at. Yes. Um, 1991. Mm-hmm. Starring Harrison Ford and, as you mentioned, Annette Benning. I'd say they're the two main folks yes. in it. Yes. I can read a plot summary from IMDb. Uh, sure, why not? Although it's just written by some dude. I don't, right. I don't know if I care about that. I don't know. Well, we could construct our own as we go. <sighs> yeah, I, I guess. I mean... Well, let's, before we even talk about, like, the details in the movie, like, what what did you think? Is this, like, a thumbs up, a thumbs down? What's your tomato score on this? A toma- 50? A tomato 75? score goes to 100, right? Zero to 100? Right. right. It, it's like, it's like, oh, 60? You know, that's exactly what I was going to put it at. Yeah. I was gonna give it. My first instinct was to give it a fifty, but I was like, you know, it does. It's not. It doesn't deserve a fifty. No, it doesn't deserve a fifty. It's a sixty. It's a sixty. It's a so- solid sixty. It's a solid sixty. It's a solid six out of ten. Right. Three out of five. Yes. Yeah. I mean, yeah. You. It be- never reaches any great heights, but it never completely bombs and crashes either. Not completely. Not complete. It gets close at a couple points. It does. It gets like a little... I definitely have some weird questions about some of the things that happen in this. Well, movie. I'm looking forward to hearing about maybe just, those. Maybe things. just really one. Well, shit. Well, I'll I'll say this. The, oh, I'll, let me just start. You know, kind of going chronologically a little bit. You know, this movie, the opening of the movie. You know, you have like movies don't really seem to have openings like this anymore. The kind of like, well, for starters, Hans Zimmer did the score. Right, right. Which I don't know that I really, it just seemed like a pretty generic 1991 movie score to me. 
Yeah, I, it like was overly pr- generic, overly melodramatic. It was it really stood out to me as kind of sucking a little bit, and like very, yeah. like very nineteen ninety one. It's not timeless in any way. Right. It's like very drippy, like synth and piano drippy, like sappy. Yeah. Almost. Well, there's just like a shot of a courthouse. Right. And, you know, yeah, and the titles go by. And they're slowly zooming in. Right. They're not dollying. They're zooming. The first shot is like a two-minute-long zoom. Yeah. It gave me... Some traumatic stress flashbacks, that opening. How's that? I went right back to a certain uh, film-slash-media studies professor that we both know. I I was right back in his class, right back in the seat. Oh, boy. There. I think you know who I'm talking about. Well, it can only be one of two people, really. (laughs) Right, really. (laughs) Uh, But, you know, it was just like, okay, here we are. Like, Was it the first one or the second one? I don't know. I think it's. I think what you would call the second one. Okay. Okay. Th- this was, you know, the class where, you know, his classes okay. were all Got films it. that were like kind of just. Again, they were very regarding Henry esque. They're like, I've never heard of any of these films, and it's like, oh, here's some film from 1976. Starring Donald Sutherland. Kramer versus Kramer or some And shit. it's just like... It's like, this film was nominated for an Academy Award for screenwriting in 1976. It's worth in-depthly dissecting now. And it's just like, what is this movie? And we were like, I signed up for a film class. Why? <laughs> yeah, exactly. For this? For th- and it was just like... You know, and it wasn't all bad. I mean, I definitely learned a few things in yeah, there. Yeah. But I mean, you know, and then there was the the torturous like to kind of prove you watch the movie. Uh. Okay, it was like, okay, the class is simple. We meet on Monday and watch a movie. We meet on Wednesday to discuss the movie for hours. When you but to make sure you're ready for the discussion, and, you know, the class is easy to get a grade, and you simply have to answer the, a simple 10, question, 10, 10 questions about the movie before Wednesday and hand it in. Oh. And you get credit for that week. And it's like, okay, it's not so bad. And then you get the paper. And it's like, <laughs> question one. Please name... Uh, it's like, please give an example of eloquent, unspoken dialogue between the following characters. And I was like, in this case, we're like, A, between Henry and his wife. B, between Henry and the physical therapist. C, between Henry and Bruce. D, between Henry and his daughter. E, between Henry's (laughs) wife and Henry's daughter. F, between Henry and the housekeeper. (laughs) G, between the housekeeper and Henry's daughter. And it would go on and on until it get to Z. And then there would be double A. Part A. Part A-A. Between the waiter and the caviar. Yeah. Part BB. And it would go all the way to like double P. That is giving me like some PTSD. P 
PP. Like, and I was watching this. One, I was like, this is. Oh, and I was like, but I was watching the movie, and I was like, oh, I totally know how to like. I see what they were doing with this movie. J.J. Abrams had a class like, like this is it, okay. So it did, you know, it did prepare me for this day. That class. Well, think I about say. how much easier it would be to answer those questions now. Well, one because I'd actually like watch half the movies. Yeah, that's true. when I had this class. It was an eight a.m. class. Oh, this was must have been um, a more advanced one than I was thinking about. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. It was, it was like but whatever. I, I, yeah. I know those, and that's question one. And then it's yeah, like, here's question, question one. two. <laughs> yeah, that was question one. I went from part A to part PP. Then it was like question two, right? Give seventeen examples of how the camera related to story. story. Yes, in this. In this film, yeah. Oh, God. I mean, we're complaining about it now, but we just got done spending four years and 200 hours <laughs> discussing one movie. So That's true. I mean, maybe we owe it all to this class. Maybe. And to this professor. Maybe, for better or for worse. Yeah. But that's the first thing. As soon as the movie started, like like the first, I, like I was three seconds into it. You're like, oh, it's one of these. And I was like, oh, I was just right back there. And I just like, yeah, I even like paused it for a second. I was just like, okay, <sighs> I know breaths. where I am now. All right, let's go. <laughs> cool. Mike Nichols. Mike Nichols. I, I'm a fan. Yeah, generally speaking, he, he doesn't do I mean, shit. He does, I can see, I mean, Mike Nichols does a lot of, uh... Dramas. He does drama, but he does film and theater. And with that, I can kind of see this, right? This type of, like, this is almost like a theater movie. I don't know what I mean by that. Like, this could be a play. Well, Even be- though, like, not literally, because it's not, like, divided into acts with, like, a single setting and stuff, like, which sometimes are the hallmarks of a play. But I just mean, I don't know. But he doesn't overdo, like, camera movements. Right. Um, it, the camera is static a lot of the time. And yes. it's very much character-based. Yeah. So, I, in that pure, way. Pure, pure character, dialogue, actor-based. Yeah. 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 Which we can get into a little bit of the characters, too. But um, I just realized this had slipped my mind. But, yeah, Mike Nichols died in 2014. Yes. Okay. So I got to pull out something else. This is, since you mentioned uh, Mike Nichols, he did die in 2014. I think that kind of went slightly... I mean, now that you mentioned it, I remember that. Yeah, I remember but it. But I don't think I really had it in my mind even watching this that, oh, Mike Nichols had No, I'd forgotten. Had passed. I was still thinking he was with us because he was making movies. Charlie Wilson's War 2007. Yeah, recently did that. I remember he did the movie, I didn't, which I actually didn't see. I did want to see that one. I didn't see it either. I, he made he did the movie Closer, which I, saw, I did I, see. I saw and that. I liked. Mm-hmm. I yeah, liked I liked that. that movie. That was like yeah, probably a couple years before that. Maybe like oh two, oh three, oh four, oh five, something like that. Oh four, it says. Oh four, yeah. Natalie Portman as a stripper. Okay. Yeah. Why not? So, Only for Mike Nichols. Right. What were you gonna say though? Well, here's the thing. I just discovered this right before we started recording. Bob Nunn. Bill Nunn, sorry. Bill Nunn. He, he, Bill Nunn, he plays the physical therapist. Okay. Kind of Henry's, you know, um, 
I don't even call him mentor, yeah, spiritual guide, right? right? Um, he actually just passed away. Oh no, he passed away uh, two days ago. Two days ago, yes, he passed away on the same day that I watched this movie. That is crazy, man. That is crazy. Well, yes, that that is crazy. Wait, so that was. A sun that was on Sunday. Sunday, yeah. That, I watched this movie Sunday night. I think that is also when I watched this movie. I started it a week ago. I watched the first thirty minutes, but it was really late. Okay, and I finished it on Sunday. Shit, how about that? Yeah. So I don't know. It was. It's like a. It, there was something, you know, about that. There was a, a cosmic there was a, wind. There was a special cosmic connection to watching that movie. You know, it was unbeknownst but you know this guy looks familiar now right that I'm, I'm looking at his picture on imdb bill nunn yeah in the movie he didn't strike me as familiar but me, seeing me his either. picture it's like oh that okay guy. that guy he is in a lot of things yeah but i'm i don't I'm looking through his imdb i'm like what would i have known him from I mean, sure. he was in the original he was in the uh, toby mcguire spider-man movies apparently the second which one, i was like, like who who was that? He was in all of them. I don't see that here. I just see he, Spider-Man 2. Oh, okay. No, Spider-Man. He was in Spider-Man. Spider-Man. He, okay. I had to like kind of do a little digging to figure out who he was, but he was... He was in the first two Spider-Men. Three. All three. Really? The third one, too? Okay, yeah. he's in three Spider-Men. Look at he, that. He was the... Uh, Joseph Robbie Robertson. Yes. the He was on the... Uh, you know, the, there's the newspaper that Peter Parker uh-huh. kind of works for, mm-hmm. and it has that super dickhead editor that's always, right. Uh, right? He was one of, like, the lackeys of that editor, mm-hmm. or the guy just standing back, kind of afraid, like, oh, boy, the guy's going to blow his top or something. What are you doing, Peter? Just give the man his photos. Yeah. Okay. That was that's who he apparently played. Don't have movies. any recollection of that character from, but I. But he had when, when I saw the picture of him as that character, I was like, okay, I realize who this is. And he he didn't have a mustache, which really makes him harder to to recognize compared to like the, the mustachioed version that was in regarding Henry. I already, as well as in the headshot here. I already put a mustache on him in regarding Henry, and I just watched like a, a lot of it like an hour ago. He didn't have a mustache in regarding Henry? No, he did. He did. Oh, okay, okay. I said he didn't in Spider-Man, which made gotcha. it hard to compare to the version that's in regarding Henry and this shot here. And he was in a lot of uh, Spike Lee films. Oh, that guy. Yeah, we've already gone over Spike Lee. I, I think we've said enough about that. Probably. He, uh, he's in Money Train, which I never saw. Yeah. So. A girl asked me but, on a date to go see that movie in 1995. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, it's cool. I didn't go though. That was a rookie mistake. Stupid. Well, she smelled like cigarettes. Mm, okay, Forrest Gump. <laughs> 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 yeah, I fucked that one up, didn't I? Damn it. Yep. So Bill Nunn played da 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 man in New Jack City. Da 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 man. <laughs> I don't know. Three does in a row. D-U-H. Duh, 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 man. I guess, yeah. If you saw the movie, it'd make perfect sense, I'm sure. Oh, Glory? He was in Glory? Okay. Oh, he's Radio Raheem, of course. I did see that. He's Radio Raheem and Do the Right Thing. Shit, okay. Now it all makes sense. Uh, In IMDb, 
his his entry for regarding Henry is Bradley, comma physical therapist. Right. Well, that's it's just a strange. I mean, usually like it just says like you know sister act Eddie Blood Brothers William Crawford The Last Seduction Harlan Dangerous Heart Mulkey doesn't say Mulkey comma thoracic surgeon oh I see. Harlan comma the guy with the gun like it's just like yeah it's just kind of an odd entry like that was like his like in the script in the screenplay that's how he was this just like written bradley comma physical therapist right maybe it was a uh you know the credits can be funny like that maybe it was um you know screenwriters guild or screen actors guild a sag thing like if you're in it for more than a certain number of minutes you have to be like identified a little more specifically especially if your profession factors heavily into the the plot or something i don't know right there's probably some weird little thing like that yeah probably but anyway so well excelsior bill nunn i'm sorry you had to go before your time due to cancer that's a bummer i really enjoyed your performance in regarding henry i mostly enjoyed it maybe it was a solid 60 (laughs) no no no. a little better than that it was definitely better than that it was was definitely better it was 70 it was a solid 70 Oh, I'd yeah. give it more than that. I, I think, <clears throat> one, he wasn't given... I think any fault I might have with him is with... It's the just writing. The car- it's the writing. It's yeah. not the acting. It's the... You know, yeah. It, yeah. Yeah, okay. It's the writing. It's the 1991 of it. It is. But I will say, at first, I was like, okay, now going back to things I learned in, in film school, right... Um, and I should say not film school like filmmaking. This is film watching school. Right. Film watching that school. That I, I went to. You went to filmmaking school. I went right. to film watching school, right? And again, you know, we t- did uh, talk a lot about the stereotype of like the saintly black man. Right. Right. And, and, I and thought, it was especially prevalent at this time period. Yeah. And I thought he was going to be even more locked into that stereotype when yeah, he first he, appeared. So did I. But he wasn't. He wasn't. I, so I give, I don't know, I, I'll give him credit as well as the writing a little bit of credit for not locking, locked completely into that stereotype. No, instead they just made him a casual objectifier of women. Right. Lecherous <laughs> um, sex addict. But that was just good, clean fun in, a, in 1991, <laughs> exactly, though. Exactly. You know, that exactly. was just a good time. It just was good natured. It was lighthearted. Simpler times in 91, Brad. You could, like, go, gotta get me some of that, and say, looking fine in your new outfit to some chick. Right. Coworker chick. Well, it's weird. I tried that on Monday after watching this movie. (laughs) Well, he shares your name. Exactly. I was like, that works for Bradley's. Let's do it. How'd that work out? Hey! What did Audrey think? fine. (laughs) Yeah. But, Looking yeah. fine, <laughs> Robin. <laughs> the uh, the um yeah, but uh, uh, you're a little. Like, apparently, it didn't go over too. No, well. it didn't go over too well. Unfortunately, I I, I kind of have to attend classes for the next eighteen months. I was gonna say. How are the cla- HR classes going? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> are there a lot of uh, online videos you have to watch? 
with solid 40s for acting? Uh, I, come on. Let's not split hairs here. <laughs> now, tell us They're what was wrong. They're solid 41s. Tell, but no, the, tell us what was wrong with the scene we just watched. Uh, <laughs> when Bradley complimented his co-worker's uniform... Was he being when he mentions to the nice. patient that he had performed sexual intercourse with a fellow nurse? Right. Was that appropriate? Was that a appropriate? B inappropriate? C, <laughs> C borderline criminal? <laughs> the uh, well, I thought that was going to come back because there's a scene where um, you know where Henry. So regarding Henry, before we maybe I go this far into it, right? We're just kind of assuming the listener know even knows what we're talking about. All right, so are we you were going to do a plot synopsis. I All started right. okay. with the open. I started the synopsis with a detailed description of the opening scene, the opening shot. It wasn't that detailed. Well, uh, it was detailed as far as the emotional yeah, response sure. and the process in my mind as I was looking at it. And the tired feeling of, I have to sit through 90 minutes of this now. Yeah. I mean, I wasn't so bad. I was like, you know, this might be good. This might be totally... You know what? I, it was totally watchable. It got a little tedious at times, but I did not mind watching it. It was watchable. We'll yeah, I did not that. mind. Wa- I wa- you know, watched it once. Did not mind watching it, really. Um, but if it wasn't you know, for the novelty of, like, J.J. Abrams having written it, and therefore we're going to do an episode of this podcast about it, it may not have been as watchable. Right. Like, well, if you were so, just sitting down to watch it. Yeah. I mean, I, so I don't think, are we doing this podcast because J.J. Abrams talked about it? Um, or, or because J.J. Abrams wrote it? I'm sorry, is what I meant to say. No, I guess not, but that was an extra little... It dinger. was a nice thing. Well, it was the thing that kind of we realized it was right because right. I originally, I believe, I suggested this because I was like, "What?" Yeah, I more or less suggested this movie. Like, hey, we should do an episode on this, and we looked at it on IMDb, and it was like, "Holy shit!" J.J. Abrams wrote this. Can't be the same one. Yeah, what is? It? Yeah, it's a, well, it's credited as Jeremy Jer- Abrams, right? And he has a little cameo in it. He does. You didn't notice that? No. Yeah. Holy shit! Who is he's he? He's the he's the grocery delivery guy that delivers the groceries. Oh wow! Yeah, I instantly recognize. I mean, he looks like a little kid. He's practically a little boy. Wow. He looks like you know right out of college or something. But yeah, he's the he has like one or two lines. He's like yeah okay or something like that. That'll be whatever. Yeah. Bucks. Um, well, I don't recognize faces too well. I have a little right. bit of that. Thing. Holy shit, John Leguizamo! Yes. Now I believe I I believe this was John Leguizamo's first film appearance. Huh. And of course, you know, being a uh, Latino in Hollywood, what's his first appearance? Right. He gets to play a uh, person uh, holding up a convenience store at gunpoint. Right, a hood. Holding up right. a convenience store. <laughs> so, okay, I'll attempt to go through the movie briefly All in right. my own way. Okay, I'm going to sit back. Feel free to add if you wish, but right. Harrison Ford plays a huge douchebag. He even has, like, the douchebag haircut. Slicked back. It's all slicked back. 
Like, you know, I don't want to get too into politics, but Donald Trump Jr.'s hair. Right. That I'm black sorry. slicked back. Like, the guy has the I'm a rich douchebag hair. Christian it's Bale like in American Psycho. Yes. So here's now Harrison Ford gets a chance to try on the douchebag haircut. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm a rich New York douchebag. Um, he needs a total douchebag. Totally. Like, douche yelling bag. at his kid for nothing. Totally, like, fucking around. Like, when he later even tries to, like, quote-unquote apologize, it's, like, <clears throat> fucked up. You know, he's unscrupulous, uh, uh, totally even unscrupulous. For, yeah, like, like, even like, for a lawyer. Yeah, even for a lawyer. He's like ripping off poor people that are, you know, defending them or, or, pro, or you know, defending the people that wrong them. All this stuff. I um, mean, you know, living in this highfalutin society of like dinner parties and all this stuff. Just lashing out at everyone. His secretary yeah. who's an older lady and like just giving her the business, even though she's clearly on top of everything. Right. The people that got the wrong dining room table, he's like cussing them out. Yeah, just just materialistic. Um, Nothing's ever good enough. He's better than everybody. Right. Like he gets they get out of the taxi and the doorman, you know, is there opening the door for them or whatever. And, you know, his wife is like, thanks, Charlie. Thanks, thanks, Eddie. Yeah, Yeah, whatever. And like he just doesn't say anything. He just walks by. You know, these people are below me. Right. Like he's that's that's his character. It's just a door opening machine. Yeah. Yeah. And that's and that's, you know, Harrison Ford's character of Henry. Just total. Yeah. Lay it lay it on as thick as you want. Well, right. This is important, Brad. Henry what? Henry. um, I can't remember now. It is important. Henry Turner. Henry Turner. There it is. Hmm? Yeah. So we'll get back to that. Continue. We'll get back to that. <laughs> so, yeah. So, so Henry an- Turner. Another thing to say about that. He ends up, he goes into a <clears throat> little corner shop to to get a pack of cigarettes. It turns out the place is in the midst of being robbed. He gets shot in the head and in the shouldery chest area. Mm-hmm. In a coma. Slow eventually wakes up and, you know, it is in essence a blank slate. Can't talk, can't move. Doesn't remember anybody. Doesn't remember anything, although that's kind of hard to even judge because he can't talk and can't move at first. But in essence, yes. he So he has to, you know, work to relearn everything. You know, his friend is the physical therapist at the rehab facility he's at. Bradley. Bradley, the aforementioned Bradley, played by uh, Bill Nunn. Rest in peace, Bill, who, you know, really gets him to, you know, all the, well, again, all the the kind of things you'd expect, right? Like, he pushes Henry further and further to get him to, you know, while Henry wants to give up, Bill, or or Bradley pushes him, all the things. He's he's a little irreverent, and he talks to Henry like he's an actual person, kind of treats him like an actual person instead of talking down to him. Yeah, talking to him like he's a a pseudo-vegetable, which at first he was, more or less, when he first started there, right? He wasn't talking. He couldn't really even get out of bed. But Henry, or Bradley, treats him the same. Yeah, he's like, yo, Hank! Come on, time to get in the wheelchair. We're going to go for, you know, all that stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Eventually, you know. Relaying his sexual exploits. Exactly. With his co-workers to him. You know, no big deal. Just one of the you guys. Know, treating him like one, one of the guys. One of the guys. You know, over time, Henry gets better. He's able to walk around. He's able to talk. 
granted, he's not, you know, fully there. I mean, he's starting from scratch, right? He hasn't mm-hmm. built up yet. He's still maybe somewhat childlike in his outlook on the world. He no longer has douchebag hair. Nope. He yeah. has, like, regular dad hair. Annette Benning forgot to pack the hair gel when she sent yeah. him away to this place. Exactly. And I guess they don't have any at the place, so. So. It's casual hair now. Casual dry right. hair. More Harrison so, Fordy, let's face it. Yeah. So eventually. Although he, although Blade Runner Harrison Ford has kind of uh, slicked back hair, but he's kind uh, of a douchebag, too. Yeah. That's true. That is true. Hmm. Anyway. So. Food for thought. Yeah. You know, he eventually, Harrison Ford, Henry Turner, he goes home. Even though he can't really remember his wife or children, or child, I should say. It wasn't children, plural. He has, a, he has one daughter. Goes home. You know, there's adjustment period. Again, the movie, it is almost two hours long. This stuff is kind of dragged out, right? He goes home, doesn't really remember anything. You know, slowly starts to get his bearings, slowly rebuilds his relationship with his daughter and his wife. Although, again, in this completely different context, right? He's no longer the douchebag. He's the, um, you know, sees the world with childlike wonder and is interested in emotions and shows love and all these things. The thing that was perplexing, you know, what's perplexing to me mm-hmm. yes, is here he is at home, you know, Again, can't necessarily, you know, he can't read even, although he eventually figures out how to read. He, his daughter teaches him how to read. He, he obviously has some intellectual disabilities, right? Yet he's a partner at this law firm and they're like, well, come back to work. And so every morning he like puts on a suit, goes into his old office. And what? Like, I don't know. It's just like a weird choice. I understand. I don't know. What was going on there? That was the weirdest part of this whole movie to me. Was that he was allowed to come back to work even though... It was just like, what was the... I could understand because, you know, obviously, you know, they put some character stuff in here. How the, like, head of this law firm, you know, knew, um, you know, knew Harrison Ford's character's dad and it kind of like Henry... Turner was under, was his protege and you know he makes some comment after he comes back to work you know like well we are still human or whatever you know like like they're just trying to you know they're trying to be nice to him I guess you yeah. know not let their family end up in the poorhouse but you'd think they would just like well we'll just you know we want to take care of you we'll while you're getting better we'll still like give you your paycheck you don't actually have to come into work and pretend like you can actually be a lawyer, even though, you know, you're still kind of exploring the world in the mode of like a, a 10 year old. So that was your confusion is like, why actually have him physically present in the office? Just give him his check. Yeah. Or even any, it was just a very, it, it just stretched credulity. No matter what it was, it was just like, and it just looked wrong. It was just like, it just didn't work for me at all. But I think like, that, and if the mo- if you want to say their motive was that they wanted to take care of them, it's just like well, why just send them a check and think, say take the time to get better, Henry. I think just from a screenwriting we'll take care standpoint, of you. he had to write that in so that new Henry could go back to work and kind of be around those people for a couple different reasons. One, yeah. to kind of realize 
what douches they all were and what a douche he used to be because like those were all his best friends to find that one file in one of his old cases where it's like wait we knew the hospital basically was wrong and yet we sat there and argued the case that the hospital did nothing wrong to that old couple that they fucked over and then but we didn't care we didn't share that we just buried it and said ah fuck them we won the case and now they're poor and the husband's dead or whatever so he had to discover what douches they were and they also had to now i'm jumping way ahead but they also had to introduce the linda relationship and if he hadn't gone back to work that might have been a little trickier no you're right about that which which doesn't make it better like from a credulity standpoint like if we insert ourselves into the reality of the movie but from a screenwriting standpoint i get it yeah, now that you say that, and now that I'd seen the whole movie, I guess I get it. At the time watching it, at that moment, I was just like, what the fuck? And let's keep in like, mind... this just makes no fucking sense. J.J. Abrams is this happening? was 23 years old when he wrote it. What the fuck <laughs> right. did he know? <laughs> you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, he's supposed to know the ins and outs of high, high-powered Fifth Avenue law firms? No. He had no shit. Yeah. Yeah, but that was the one that that was when, uh, yeah, I was very much just like what what. But yeah, you're right. I can see it was just more or less kind of a conceit. I guess they had to make to make the rest of the movie kind of possible and to make these points. And Still, I, maybe they could have thought of a better excuse to explain why, probably, or did something different. Like, you know, he would go there to visit often because they're his friends or something. <clears throat> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like kind of hanging around and almost making a nuisance of himself at first or something like that. That may have worked better. Yeah. But also, like, you know, they're trying to reacclimate him. So probably going to work right. in like some the capacity same way. is like getting him back in the routine and, like, it'll jog some memories and maybe it'll help right. in his recovery. Yeah. Kind of like the same way he kind of seemed to, like, go from not reading to need some help to all of a sudden, hey, I can read. Like, it all clicked back. Right. It can click like, back. Like, oh, wait, I know the law. I know how to argue <laughs> these cases. Like, it's come back to me. Which, why not? I mean, it's all in his brain, theoretically. Right. And, you know, the doctor says. It just has says, to all come back. The brain yeah. is mysterious. They don't really understand it. So that switch maybe could come on. And here's here's another thing I want to say is that, yeah, the law firm people, they're all douches and like there's a lot of backstabbing and like disparaging people behind their backs going on. But I'll say that there were some honest and like genuine offers of support because um, the head of the law firm, Charlie or whatever, mm-hmm. does offer Annette Benning, Mrs. Turner, um, right. Rachel, I guess. Like financial help. And I don't think he's saying that just to like rub it in her face like she doesn't have any money because whatever. Like I think that was yeah a genuine offer of support. And then he does let Henry come back to work and gives him his job back. So like douche or not – and definitely a douche right. still. But like there was nothing – I kept waiting for like him to turn horrible somehow. But really the only horrible thing was they won the case because they didn't – like provide the other the defense, or I guess they're the def- the other side, the other law team that right. that piece of paper that said no, the hospital did know that the insulin issue or whatever that he was diabetic. Right. Yeah. I mean, you're right. I kept expe- expecting him to go evil. Right. Just to become a monster. Yeah. Like even with the whole like, 
you know, oh, and I feel like there might be some some subtext here that we are missing. Because even be. with him asking her, like, are you okay with money? Because she was advised to never tell anybody. Don't tell anyone you're ha- you might be in trouble with money because, I guess, I don't know, she'd just become a pariah or whatever socially, you know, in, um, among these high society people. Or just be taken advantage of. So part of it, like in that, so when she can, she did, and that's why she lies to him. Was like, oh, we'll be fine. I feel like, I don't know. Was there something? Was it a genuine offer, or was it sinister? I don't know. And what would be the like? What does he care? Like he owns the law firm, right? Like who cares? Like I don't understand why. Like he would just be looked at as like magnanimous, trying to help out. And- right. Yeah. So you you might be right. He was that was just a genuine concern because he again he does let Henry come back. But it was you're right. It was foreshadowed by Annette Benning's friend. They have that conversation, and she's like, "Don't tell anybody." And then like a little later, there he is, the boss, trying to probe and see how they're mm-hmm. doing financially. So yeah, that feel like that didn't wrap up maybe. As neatly as it could have. Right. Yeah. Maybe he should have gone a little more sinister towards the end. Or they just shouldn't have had that conversation. But again, I guess part of it was, again, showing the stresses of this high society life and the, you know, the, the pressure to put on airs and to appear like everything is going fine. You know, even though your husband is more or less in a coma, you know, at, at first, right? And she's just like, oh, he's getting better every day. We're doing fine, right? It was that kind of like, mm-hmm. you know, that 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 kind of like fake, ins- you know, insincere um, outward appearance that, you know, she was forced to do. Which then later, I guess, contrasts. Because again, she's like so worried about money and also can't tell anyone she doesn't have money. But... You know, eventually, right, Henry, so Henry comes home, he's like, you know, a normal, decent human, even if he is, you know, intellectually disabled, and in in essence, it allows her to, like, you know, go back to being a human again, too. And at that point... Because she's like, hey, we'll just buy a new house. Right. Fuck it. You quit your job. That's great. Let's go figure it out. You know what I mean? Yeah, she kind of, her life turned around a little bit didn't it yep (laughs) um but that's interesting because so she falls in love with mr douchebag hair and basically she falls in love with him because of his douchebaggery because he's like with some other girl right when they meet and then he like basically hits on her Like, when he's right there with this other chick at the restaurant. Right. And it was his, like, incredible confidence that, like, a, she swooned over and that attracted her and stuff, she But said. it goes so far beyond confidence. It's like, I don't know. Yeah. What's, no. uh, uh, like, confidence to the degree that, like, everyone around you becomes less of a human being. Like, you just, you lack empathy and you just don't give a fuck. You know, because he's there with some other girl and then he blatantly just gives Annette Benning his number and asks her out like, hey, do you like blowfish? <laughs> Let's mm-hmm. go to this blowfish restaurant. She falls in love with him, goes home that night and tells her roommate, like, I met the man I'm going to marry. So she falls in love with that guy. Right. No, it's a good point. And now, like, 
it's okay. Like they work it out relatively quickly in the space of a month or two when Harrison Ford's this completely different person now. Yeah, no, that's true. Like, you know, if the if the point of that that story should have been different, right? Like but I, he should have been more of a douchebag with a heart of gold. <laughs> yeah, or less of a douchebag back then, right? Because right. she mentions that she was just didn't she have some she just had some menial job, didn't she? Yeah, she was answering phones somewhere. Yeah, you know, and he was the guy out of law school. Right. Hot like, shot, you know, if it was like, oh, but he was just applying to law school, right? And he was just a normal, you know, this is pre-douchebag him, right? So then this, he could eventually turn back right. after this injury. It's pre-douchebag. Would make, then- it would make more sense. You're right. Like, she was already into the douchebag him. There was never a time when he was like what I'll call Henry Part Two, right? Right. Henry Part Two. Right. It should have been Henry Part One when they first met wasn't as big of a douchebag. They spend a decade, whatever it is, decade and a half, two decades together. And like, you know, people change, your relationship changes, your marriage changes, and you slowly turn over time into somebody different. And he slowly turns into Henry Part Do, who's a douchebag. And like, they, she has an affair with his best friend, Bruce. He has this affair, this more than an affair, even like he's going to leave her for right. this Linda character at work. So yeah. they've, they've become both completely different people. But you're absolutely right. It breaks down because he's not a different person at that point. He's the same douchebag he was when she met him. Yeah, no, you're right. No, you're granted, right. <laughs> right, right, right. We're both right. We're right? both right. Like, Everybody's right. Yeah. I mean, she mentions at the same time, right? So this is kind of the twist ending. You know, everyone's happy. You know, he realizes his former life. He was a complete douchebag. Overhears the lawyers talking smack about him, making fun of him. Oh, that's the other thing is like, well, go ahead. Yeah. He more or less just like is like, okay, fuck this life. Right. First. Well, first, you know, hearing everyone make fun of him and realizing he was a douchebag. Right. He just he's not sure what to do with that. He goes kind of like, you know, down for a while. Bradley has to return to pip him up. Dark night of the soul. Yeah. That was your dark night of the soul. I guess part one, maybe you think everything's good. And then there's a little twist at the end. And like the last 15 minutes, you find out that the wife was having an affair with this other guy, this other lawyer that we've seen named Bruce. It's his best friend, his ex old best friend. Yeah. They're both partners at the law firm. Yes. And, 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 uh, yeah. So his wife was having an affair with Bruce. You know, he finds like these old letters or whatever, gets all upset, leaves. Then realizes that uh, he was actually having an affair, right? Which he did had no not idea because his memories were gone, right? With with Linda, the other lawyer there, the other partner, and she. Well, well, the thing I lost kind of my my pacing there a little bit is the is when they ah, I fucking well I it was it was, was a big the point twist. I was going to make in there, but yeah, there was that twist. It's like, you well, think- right. It was that Annette Benning said, you know, we were good. We got married. We were good for a while, but things have been so bad for so long, you know, like both of us were so miserably unhappy. Right. Right. He, he and- found these letters like from Bruce to her, like, I want to feel your body against mine, blah, 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 which he couldn't read the first time he found them because he couldn't read. He's just like, yeah, oh, good whatever. point. 
And then he finds them again later after he's able to read and reads them. It's like, fuck, just when everything was awesome, like she's been cheating on me. And he kind of storms out in a little bit of a righteous rage, warranted, I guess, and finds himself at the Ritz-Carlton Hotel and goes up to a room. He's like going to leave. That was another twist. That's the first word he says when he starts to come back. Right, Ritz. Ritz. Which I I was kind of surprised. Yeah, anyway. But it, we thought it was crackers. So did right. he. Like, and he's painting all these boxes of Ritz crackers. Turns out, nope, it's the Ritz-Carlton because that's where he would meet his mistress. Right. Every Tuesday time. and Thursday from 7.30 to 8.30 or something right. like that. It was right. a, very, a very specific. Well, he's uh, nothing if not organized and punctual yes. as a hotshot lawyer. If it's something that matters, if it's dinner with his family, fuck it, move it around. But, you know, sex time with his mistress, we're going to be on time for that. Yeah. But then she shows up there because she follows him and it's like, oh, we were in love so much. And he's like, oh, shit, I just gave (laughs) I just gave my wife the business for cheating. And and which she did, what, a couple times or something, then was putting off his advances. And then meanwhile, he was like chronically (laughs) cheating. Like to the point of leaving her almost like, yeah, just going to be with this other chick now. And he's like, well, shit, we all make mistakes. We've all changed. It's never too late to turn your life around. So, I mean, so if we think about the journey of the wife, because that's what we were really talking about here, because she was attracted to the douche guy. She's like, I'm going to marry this douchebag. And then that's it's good for a while. It's not but then all it's, it's cracked like, up to be over hey, time. Hey, we're married. We're massively unhappy. We're both having affairs. Mm-hmm. Then he comes back as kind of this reset non-douche person. But there, it is true, though. When he comes back, she is attempting to continue the douche lifestyle mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to some extent, right? Sure. So really, it's him... He manages to infect her with the non-douchiness over time. It's not that she was like, oh, I loved non-douches, but then I ended up, this guy turned out to be a douche. It's more like, you know, she had a similar journey. Like, they were just both douches. And she realizes, hey, it's better to be happy than to be a high-powered douche. And then, so his simple openness and honesty, like, was infectious to her? Yes, and right. the fact that she had to realize, like, oh, I could lose everything here. Like, you know, maybe it's not as important, right? It's more important that my husband is alive than, you know, we oh, we still owe that we still live in this fancy house and have this fancy high society connections. It's more important you know? that, like, and all my friends like make fun of me behind my back now. What kind of friends? Because I have a yeah. Because my my husband is disabled. Like. Fuck this world, right? Friends like these, huh, Gary? Yeah. Better to have a husband who loves your daughter and has a relationship with her that's very special and meaningful, and for your husband to want to hold your hand in public and stand on park benches and kiss you even when your friends come up. He's like, I don't give a fuck. (laughs) She was ultimately seduced by the non-douche. Right. Is what happened there. So I, I'm starting to piece it together as we talk about this. That's the a thing, lot for a 23-year-old to lay on us. Yeah. The uh, the thing... So I'll make uh, just another thing that popped into my head since we've, we've mentioned this character of Linda now. 
mm-hmm. who was another lawyer. Um, you know, when Henry is comes back to work and they're kind of sh- like reintroducing everyone to him, right? Um, she, you know, there is the moment with Linda, which at the time it actually worked. Like it didn't really make me suspicious because she's like, hey, Henry, like, you know, looking back at that scene now, it's like, oh, she's looking at the, the greatest love of her life. Right. That she can't say that that's what it was or try to bring that back in any way. Right. But um, I, didn't I did catch think. It at all. Yeah, I didn't catch it at all, but I did think they were going to play it off for a joke. I was like, okay, are they going to do this? I thought there was a 30% chance they would do this, even though it would kind of fuck up the story and the character. Like what? Like she was pretending that they were having an affair? No, 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 no. I thought (laughs) when he was like, oh, this is Linda, and he's like, oh, hi, Linda. And then he turns, and there's this shot now oh, of him gotta turning get away. Me some of that. And he was going to say to Bruce, <laughs> got to get me some of that. Yeah, I know. Like, I thought he was going to say that. Like, oh, Way that's more. just what people are supposed to say. I was waiting for that, and it didn't happen. Way more than 30%. I thought that was like an 80% chance. Okay, so you saw it. It wasn't and just me. And I was me. like flabbergasted that they didn't. I, and I respected Maybe it Maybe they a had lot. an alternate take where they did it. Maybe. The problem with him saying that is it kind of fucks up the reveal later. And, like, it really does screw up his kind of, like, wholesome character that he has. Even though the movie has weird off-tone stuff, like his (laughs) physical therapist, like, sexually harassing every co-worker throughout the entire movie. So, I don't know. But, Brad, think about it. He could have said, gotta get me some of that. And then when she reveals to him, like, no. We've are we were a thing. You were about to leave yeah. your wife for me. He could leave the hotel room and go. Apparently, I already got me some of that. Right. <laughs> it would have been same thing perfect. that Bradley said. Yeah, already had me some of that. Yeah. <laughs> oh man! Damn it! If only they brought us in to clean up the uh, the script a little bit. It's like the best Granted, review. I was only uh, what was I like sixteen at that time, but. <laughs> It's like the review of Sunshine, the movie on IMDb. Somebody retweets it every now and then, but it's like it goes on and on about how the movie was pretty good, except now it's the worst movie in history because at no point and Sunshine's about, you know, the spaceship traveling giant bomb on the front that's going to try to reignite the sun because the sun right. is dying and the whole world's going to die. And he's like, at no point in this movie did any character ever say, it's daylight savings time. <laughs> right. <laughs> and it goes right. on and on for paragraphs. And it's like sometimes, no matter how horrible it is, if you have a perfect opportunity, Jesus, how could they yeah. not do it? You got to use it. You, you have no choice. It's like you can't control it. Sometimes the movie... It's just telling you, do it, do it. So I have another, I have a question for you. Okay. That I think you're more, you're, you're, you have more knowledge in this area than I do, I think. Oh, boy. When they go to the housewarming party, which is where, you know, they overhear yeah. Henry and Sarah, his wife, overhear the, uh, all their you friends, know, their, their, their friends kind of trash talking them. They're there, and there's caviar. Jesus, yeah. You notice that, too? What are they doing? They're scooping caviar like by onto the, a plate. Like, it's like, like they're making an ice cream sundae. Right. Like, by the ladleful. <laughs> like, like huge mounds of caviar on their plate. Like, each person had a, just eating at, it. at least half a cup or more. 
Yeah. Like a giant, giant. Now, like they're eating it like they're at, like, you know, the old country buffet and <laughs> caviar is on the, is, is in one of the latrines or hey, whatever. Hey, kids, Thursday night's caviar night right. down at and the OCB. Scooping it in and shoveling it into their faces by the spoonful. That was horrible. It's like, what is going on? It was so horrible. I can only assume that, like, whether it's a shortcoming of... The art director, productions, whoever, but, like, they just don't know how caviar works. Or because it was a giant vat of caviar. Like, I've never seen that. It's like a chalice. Like, the largest chalice you've ever seen filled with caviar. So I think they were just trying to reinforce, like, the opulence of the lifestyle. Yeah, that's what I was wondering. It's just like, yes, these people eat caviar. But is but like would rich people even eat caviar like no. at that quantity? No. Even like in a fort, it's just not what you're supposed to do. You don't do that. It's not even it's too much even. Like can you imagine what their breath and their shit smelled like the next morning? <laughs> yeah. If you ate like four cups of caviar? Jesus. Yeah, no, that was crazy and I just chalked it up to like a mistake. Yeah, but it definitely it was one of those things. Um or Yeah. That- or were they saying, like, yeah, these people are, like, maybe it's some sort of, like, new money thing? Like, they have money, but they're new money? I but mean... I didn't get that anywhere else in the movie, though, really. Yeah, I mean, that could be an explanation for it. But again, if that was it... You'd have to reinforce that somewhere else. Yeah, yeah. And it's there's like there's... No point to yeah. it. Yeah. I mean, it's like uh, in The Room, which I know you haven't seen... Oh, boy. But this is what I think it's kind of like, because here they are acting in this scene, and they're just kind of like, okay, you know. And, the, and like, in the screenplay, it probably says, like, you know, as scooping caviar onto plate, or, like, as putting food onto plate, even, right? And there's, like, but then there's, like, you know, there's, like, uh, 15 seconds of dialogue. Yeah. So they're, they're just here forced to kind of like interact with the food and all that's there is this bucket of caviar. Right, right. So it's like, okay, we're improvising. Like, oh, pouring caviar on, eating, scooping up caviar while we're talking. Like, because right. there's a scene in the room where uh, fam- one of the many famously weird things is um, uh, in one scene, a character pours vodka into scotch and drinks it. <laughs> okay um that's actually a new drink that like weird bad movie hipsters will actually now order the scotchka oh boy but yes and it's just like okay again it was just like they're just actors and there's certain things on the table and they're just doing things while they're delivering their you know what i mean yeah they're interacting with the things that they have at hand yeah you know and like you know the body language is everybody's just like yeah if you really look at what they're doing yeah he just poured vodka into his scotch and drank it it's just like okay <laughs> so that's a that's a hipster drink now, huh? Scotch something like that. The Scotchka. Oh yeah. boy, that's. I don't know if anyone actually drinks it, but that's disgusting. It's been it's been named simply because, yes, it's one of the uh, you know it's the movie that keeps on giving. That that's just one of probably ninety six insane things that happened in that movie. That's got to be one per minute. Give yeah. Or take. Give or take. That's pretty good. That's why you can just watch this movie and it's just, it keeps giving. It's entertaining. You can watch it again and again. You mentioned that this 
Oh, for, I want to correct. I think I kept referring to Henry Turner's wife as Rachel, but that's their daughter. His wife's name is Sarah, I think. Yes. Sarah Turner. Okay. That's yes. why I didn't want to. Annette Benning plays Sarah. The, uh, the, um, the, the daughter is played by Mickey Allen. Yeah, that sounds Who great. is also in, but she, in IMDb, she's referred to as like Kaiman Allen. Yeah, weird one. Yet, even despite that, she's only in one, excuse me, one movie, which is regarding Henry. On IMDb, at least. That's it. That child did not work in another movie. That's kind of crazy. I thought she was pretty good. She was okay. Um, so I did watch the movie. I feel I would need to shout this out. I did watch them. Christine watched the movie with me. Who? Who's that? Christine, uh, my wife. You may know her. Oh, uh, yep. Got it. Um, and I think she was kind of harsh on the kids' acting. You know. But Christine is a drama critic. I am not quite that. I can't quite... I find it harder to critique someone's acting unless it's truly horrendous. I find it hard to critique children's acting. Yes. I can critique adults' acting because, you know, they can take it. If they're not good, just tell them and like, hey, it's not for you. And then everybody can get on with their lives. But right. this is a child. How old was she in this movie? 13? 14? Good question. I don't know. Yeah. It's her her first... character was 11. Right. So they're usually a little older than they play, right? But yeah, um, yeah. Give her a fucking break. I thought she did pretty good. And there's a moment in the library where he's flicking the paper balls at her. It's supposed to be very serious. Right. It's one part of like his character turning into somebody right. different. And like, there's a moment where he does it like the third time, and she's like pretending to be like, "Stop it, Dad." Like, not supposed to do that. But there's a moment where, like, she kind of smiles and laughs just for a second and then gets serious again, which mm -hmm. I thought was, like, amazing. You're right. The rest yeah. of it's kind of like, okay, it's fine. Like, she was a little somber, but she was supposed to be. And then she kind of got over it. I thought she was fine. But that moment was transcendent. So right. I give her a pass on that shit. Although that scene, I just don't know what I think about that scene. I mean, it was a, uh, the scene was fine and in injecting some levity into the movie. And maybe you need to because the movie is so heavy. Super douchebag lawyer with a horrible family gets shot. <laughs> and then he ends up, you know, mentally disabled and comes home. Like, it, it's kind of heavy. So you needed a little levity there where he's like, you know, flicking the stuff, flicking little wadded up pieces of paper at her yeah the movie's not really a bucket of yucks right right but he is, but at the same time like it also just felt like oh here's the part like see she's now the the disciplined responsible one and he's the child like the roles are reversed don't you get it he's the child now like i kind of felt like that scene was kind of like Shouting at me that way, and it's like, yeah, I know, I get it. You don't necessarily need to, but again, he seduced her. Well, that's a bad heavy <laughs> verb to use. Not seduced her in a sexual sense, but seduced her in the sense that, like, you know, into hit into the light side of the force. He charmed her. Yeah, you, you. It's okay. We're gonna be different now. We're gonna be like. You spill your orange Happy juice sometimes. Happy kids again. Yeah. Big oh, deal. yeah. We can spill your orange juice. Yeah, I do it. Slunk. 
spill mine too happens all the time and because the next scene after that is where she teaches him to read right because she's like because she's like just go read your book stop it and he's like i don't know how and it's like she's like oh shit she doesn't know how to read. Fuck. Even I know how to read. Yeah. And then she's like, all right, try try to sound out this word. Mother. Mother, I can read. <laughs> now I can read. Now I can read. <laughs> oh. She was 13 when this 13 movie at the was, time. when it I came out it. anyway. So maybe she was 12 when they were filming it. But um, yeah, that's the only quote actually on her IMDb page for this movie. Henry flicks a wad of paper at Rachel in the library. Rachel whispers, Dad, stop it. He flicks another wad of paper at her. Rachel whispers sternly, Dad, I'm serious. Henry, I know, very. <laughs> there you go. One of the yep. epic lines from Well, that, movie that scene history. was in the trailer. It was? It was trailer worthy, yeah. I didn't watch that. Um, was the gunshot in the trailer? You mean showing him that he was shot? Yeah. I mean, I don't know if they actually showed, like, the blood in the trailer, but they clearly showed, yes, he gets shot. Like, the trailer lays out the whole movie, except for that little twist at the end. Like, watching the movie, I know exactly what happens. The trailer shows you. Douchebag guy gets shot, starts over, becomes like a kid again, not a douchebag. Family all learns to love each other again. He has struggles. I don't even remember who I was. Oh, I don't. Uh. <laughs> Bradley, I don't like who I was before. You know, like, it's just clear, you know, oh, the people trash talk them behind their backs. That's in the trailer. Oh, geez. Like, the whole story is in the trailer. The whole thing is is in that trailer, except for the the, the twist at the end about the fact they were having an affair. So at least they saved that. So the last, like, 15 minutes of the movie, I was like, oh, what's going to happen now? Is that a theatrical trailer? I don't know. Or is that I something mean, just they the cobbled trailer. together later, do you think? I mean, it was the... I don't know. I think it's the theatrical trailer. It's like, what, why do they do that? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's like no one's watching this movie for the suspense. They're like, they want to see Harrison Ford's, like, serious Oscar-worthy performance playing a... Douchebag turned happy. Uh, well, he didn't go disabled full, person. He didn't go full retard. Right, exactly. He he took the advice. He stayed out right, of that. Right. So that's good. So we so would that, just we want to see Harrison Ford's turn as Forrest Gump. Yeah, basically. But, but this movie pretty much did not earn many accol- acc- accolades. No. Apparently, I looked it up. I thought, oh, well, maybe this. Was like, were they trying to make Oscar bait or something? Maybe they were trying to. I don't know. Of course they were. But yeah, it was like, it didn't get great reception. You know, Roger Ebert gave it two out of four. Yeah, yeah, that's about right. The Wikipedia page listed all as more or less people were like, yeah, it's kind of like sappy and stupid and never quite delivers on anything. That's, yeah, that's about right. It's about right. I guess I'm a little less harsh on it than that, but not much. Yeah. The reason I asked about the gunshot is I remember watching this in 1991 or 92 whenever I saw it and like being kind of blown away, no pun intended, by the visual effects of the gunshot because this is like in my 6-year long diehard period 
Right? Okay. I probably watched that movie. I know you've never seen it, of course. No, no. Jesus Christ. But um, so I'd probably seen that movie 80 times or something. And that is just, and we've talked about this, but that was like just flesh, like pieces of flesh just tearing off and ripping off and heads exploding and like blood gushing out every time someone gets shot. And this is more like, bam, it's like, what? You know, he gets shot in the shoulder first and you just kind of see a little bit of blood on the shirt. And he's just kind of standing there like, wait, whoa, wait. And then he gets shot in the head in Die Hard. Someone gets shot in the head. The back of their head goes blasting out. Blood is right. all over the door. The body goes flying backwards. But that's not how that happens, you know? It's a pretty right. small handgun, and he just shoots him in the head, and you just see the close-up of Harrison, or medium shot even, maybe. And there's just a tiny little hole just on his upper forehead, just with a little blood there. Not much of anything, really. Right. And he's just kind of like, what? wait, wait, and kind of turns around and is still on his feet and kind of stumbles through the door and then right. collapses on the pavement. And at that point, more blood is starting to come out. But it, it right. felt so... And the so blood comes, starts, it's like coming out of his nose and out of his mouth. Right. Like it's bleeding internally out there. Like, yeah, it's, 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 it's affecting without yeah. a doubt. Yeah. And it's I think, different. You know, it's very visceral. Like you can yeah. feel, feel that situation and there's nothing, I don't, think there's really any music there's no like big huge like camera moves or anything it's just like right. you're kind of put like uncomfortably sitting there watching it yeah i remember that being really impactful right like and again that's a thing you know movies and especially a lot of these really like they like you said you get shot you either maybe get blown up <laughs> or like you know you shoot someone they just fall over dead instantly right right which is not happening you shoot someone they're going to take minutes, hours, days to die. Yeah. Really? Like, yeah. you know, and then the suffering that then happens after that, that's like insane. And like actually having to witness that, I think, is far more jarring, you know, and as this movie, you know, obviously shows, right? It's far more powerful um, than just like, oh, yeah, I got shot. I fell over dead or fell over unconscious or whatever. I follow um, an action filmmaker a uh, director who makes action movies she directed punisher war zones mother shit lexi alexander and um actually stopped following her shortly ago just i don't know why maybe i should refollow her but she posted something about like making realistic violence on film mm -hmm. and you know she's into that because she's been in fights she was a mixed martial art artist what's that mixed martial yeah, mixed, I mixed think martial right. arts, right? Yeah. I think she was a world champ at that. And, like, you know, she's been punched. I don't know if she's seen people shot, maybe. Um, but it's like, you know, you have to know what violence looks like. The thing that drives me crazy is when, like, some glasses-wearing person straight out of, like, whatever, NYU film school comes and thinks they can direct violence. It's like... You know, I, I don't recommend it necessarily, not for the faint of heart, but this is what it looks like when someone gets stabbed to death and dies. And I watched it. It was like a oh. security camera footage. Uh, and it's just like I almost passed out because it took like the dude got stabbed. Like he's just standing over him, just kind of stabbing him. The dude's just kind of sitting there. He's on the curb. He's just sitting there kind of like 
hunching his shoulder, like kind of shielding himself. And he's just getting stabbed in the neck over and over. The guy runs away and he's just kind of standing, like sitting there on the curb for a while. Like, oh, this feels shitty. Meanwhile, he'd just been stabbed in the neck like 20 times. And then like right. it, it takes like minutes, like two minutes before like – and then he kind of crumples over onto the street. And then you kind of see the blood start leaking out and he's kind of – curling up like oh this is this bad this is you can just kind of sense it but it takes for fucking ever it's not like i stab you in the throat now you're dead you don't just fall over dead but yeah it's like i got cold and like like when people are afraid of looking at needles it felt like that like right i had to sit i had to fucking sit down it's like why did i and then i unfollowed her i guess because i'm a chicken shit (laughs) well you don't need yeah it's like okay learn my lesson so, yeah, it was nice to see, not nice necessarily, but maybe refreshing to see violence portrayed and not glorified. Right. But And in a movie that's completely not an action movie or anything, right? right like, right. it's just like, hey, this guy gets shot. And like, yeah, it really, and, and the fact that it's a brain injury too, mm-hmm. right? And he's just like, what? What? what the hell? Like, you know, like, oh, yeah. Yeah, very, very Don't like it. Nope. Not good. But I wanted to give a shout out to that. Um, and then when he, because he, <laughs> even at, he gets shot twice, he gets shot in the shoulder, he gets shot in the head, he's still standing, still talking. It's like, wait, ugh. and he stumbles through the door and they show the street and it's wintertime and there's snow and there's boot tracks through the snow. It's really well done production design. And there's like a old stubbed out cigarette butt there. <coughs> And then he kind of falls down. You see his face. He, boom, his head hits the pavement. And the cigarette butt's right by his, like, head. And it's right there. And then John Leguizamo takes off. But then they cut back to him. And the cigarette butt's still there, I believe. So, I don't know. It was good. It was good. Yeah. Nice attention to detail there. The, mm mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Harrison Ford's acting, I think, was, as you would expect, top-notch. Really top-notch, even when he was playing it dumb? Like, is it just because I know him as Han Solo and Indiana Jones and whatnot that I was like, it it took me a while to buy in to what he was doing? I didn't have too much of a trouble buying in. I'm thinking more of him when being a douchebag was he did that really well. Oh, yeah. Oh, totally. The scene where he got shot, like we just discussed, I thought he did that really well. Really well. Um, The parts where he was like in rehab and couldn't talk, I thought was really well. Because he had to communicate with his eyes only and his body, and he did that very effectively, I thought. Okay. And I thought it was a pretty good performance there. And even when he was playing it, you know, disabled, I mean, it is kind of... I mean, that's easy be. to be like, OK, you're, you're Han Solo and now you're pretending to be disabled. Like, it's hard as a with such a well-known actor and as a leading man type. Yeah, there are issues with that. I mean, Tom Hanks did it flawlessly in Forrest Gump, I think. Like there was never a moment where I was taken out of that movie because of his portrayal of that character. But I was taken out of it a little bit here and there in this movie. And I'm, I'm not sure if that's Harrison Ford or right. some or something else. It's just something else, yeah. And you know, ultimately, it becomes 
you know, tough for him as an actor, right? I guess because in, he does have so much baggage associated with him. Well, so did Tom Hanks, though. Turner and Hooch. I mean, come uh, on. Yeah, but he had he didn't have a Han Solo. He had big. He did have big. Sleepless in Seattle, right? Well, was that? I don't know. That was probably. I don't know. Could go either way. Like I don't know if his Forrest Gump. Ninety three. His Forrest Gump seems like a pretty hardcore caricature to me. Well, sure, but he plays it perfectly. Maybe, I don't know, I feel Harrison Ford's, even though Forrest Gump is a better movie, Harrison Ford, I think, had a tougher acting job. I'll agree because there's a lot more going on in Forrest Gump. They're jumping around, he's in war, he's doing this, he's doing that, he's going there, and the cameras doing fancy shit and there's special effects all over the place mm-hmm. and he's got to just do like two minutes at a time where you know he's standing in front of the reflecting pool giving a speech where he's not saying or whatever you know yeah so he could kind of be all over the place but harrison ford it's like okay here's a scene where it's four minutes where the camera doesn't move and you just have to sit there and not say anything <laughs> right right or <laughs> even when you're us. yeah or even when you're playing Later on, when you can talk and move, you know, again, it's still, it's a lot more of a subtle performance yeah. is what was required, right? It's harder to pull off, I guess. Sleepless in Seattle, 93. Forrest Gump, I want to say it was 94. Let's see if I got it. 94. A League of Their Own, he was in before that. Joe versus the Volcano, The Burbs, yeah. Big, Dragnet. The Money, Burbs. Money Pit. I strangely, and I just say strangely because The Burbs is kind of one of these movies that time forgot, like regarding Henry, but I love that movie for some reason. I I saw that movie a lot. I've only seen it once. I thought it was okay. Like, not that I would say, granted, I haven't probably seen it since I was 17 or something. Yeah, me either. Not that I was, I'm going to say, oh, it deserves to be in like canonized, you know, is a great American film or anything. I just. Some for some random reason, you know, like I probably watched it. It was some expectation to payoff ratio, something. It was just like, oh, I don't know. I got into it. I watched it multiple times. Like when it would come on cable, rerun, whatever, come on HBO, I'd be like, oh, the burbs. Yeah, I'm going to watch that. So Han Solo moves on to Annette Benning, and Tom Hanks moves on to Princess Leia. Carrie Fisher's in the burbs. All right. It's all connected. It is. So Bruce Altman is an actor. This was his very first um, silver screen role. Very first movie role. And who who did he play? Bruce. (laughs) So Bruce played Bruce. Bruce played Bruce. Okay. Bruce was very, and I realize both these people are playing to a certain stereotype, I guess. But he was so George Costanza. Was he? Like, his voice, like, it was so, like, well, let me tell you, if we could do that, I would do this this way. Like, it, it was so, I was like, huh, okay. Well, the and only- then you had an affair with him? Right, right. Him? Him? That guy? You had an affair with George? Not George. I mean, at least go for Kramer or something. Right, something. You're going to do it. Newman. George. George. <laughs> <laughs> but, well, you know, give him a break. It's his first... First role. Okay. He was in the Equalizer, but he brings him a picture frame. What was that about? So I thought the next day that was still kind of popped in my head. Um, 
Do you think he brought that for the wife, not knowing that Henry was home? It was wrapped very strangely for a man to give another man. <laughs> yeah, but I also just thought, well, this is their dandy Fifth Avenue culture. A picture frame? Because, well, the wrapping. Oh, yeah. The picture frame, yeah, I don't know. And then when, he, but again, you would give like the woman you're trying to convince to have an affair with. Like put a picture of us on your nightstand? Here's a, here's a picture frame. You know what to do. When if your husband asks where the picture frame came from, you can just be like, "Oh, I just like I don't know. It just seems like a weird thing, no matter what." I guess. So I, now that I'm actually thinking about it, it would be weirder if he was giving it to Sarah. Either way, but it was a weird thing because it was a weird. It was a weird moment. Well, it was also weird and awkward in the movie too because he opens it up and there's a picture frame. He's like okay, and the guy's like, "Yeah, it's a." You know, again, this George Costanza like Bruce is like, yeah, it's a picture frame. It's a picture frame. You know, put a picture in it if you want. And I thought I'd get you a frame. <laughs> and Henry's like, okay, thanks. And he puts it down. Yeah, what the fuck? <laughs> he was kind of like, what the fuck? You know, you have to understand. I'm like 10 years old. This is like buying me socks. <laughs> like, I don't know. Yeah, Even worse. Weird. At least he can wear it. He knows what to do with socks. Yeah. What's he supposed to do with a fucking picture frame? Yeah, I so love bizarre, but but he does have a whole armada of like paintings of the of Ritz cracker boxes, which I thought was pretty cool. Right, everywhere he's done dozens of them, probably. Um, yeah, Bruce Altman, but this was his first role, and he went on to like if you look at his oh, IMDb, really? like he is fucking everywhere. This guy, like shit man 2009 one two three four four credits in 2009 one two three four five six in 2010 one two three four five six in 2011 one two three four five in 2012 one three four in 2013 like he's he yeah, stays he's busy a lot of shit it's kind of a little when bit that- of everything like a lot of tv a couple movies here and there never the seems like never the main guy Right. Always like looking through here. Like the hero's pal or something. He was in an episode of Friday Night Lights. That might be the only thing here that I've ever actually seen that he's been in. Oh, who was he in Friday? Head of he pl- he pl- Raymore. Yeah, he played. He was, was a character in one episode. One I guess episode. head of another team. He was like the coach of another team or something. I don't know. You'd think they'd say coach of Braymore then. Yeah, head of. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Well, I or Braymore is maybe a hospital. This is the mm-hmm. hospital where the wheelchair guy was, maybe? Well, that could in be. In Friday Night Lights or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He was in the Cosby Mysteries in 1994. Well, there you go. He was in Glen Gary, Glen Ross. Another one I don't think I've ever seen all the way through. It's hard to get through. People well, I mean, love Glen Gary, Glen Ross is literally a, it's not a movie, it is a play, and they filmed the play. People love that shit so much. I mean, you're, like, that's a bit of hyperbole. It's not but no, but literally, that's literally a what they did. It was written for the stage. You can tell it all takes place in one room. But they didn't shoot them on a stage in front of an audience. No, like, they didn't. I mean, they do like you know some close ups, some medium shots, right, right. but like not a whole. But yeah, it, it, you know. But it's very much a yeah. And it ha- I mean, you can tell it's a play because it's like it all takes place in the office of the real estate office. And then, you know, it's like, OK, act one, all this stuff happens. And then it's like, I know, Alec Baldwin, you know, fade like, to black, play a little music, out. fade back. Yeah. And now it's like, you know, two days later, 
And the thing they were all talking about before has happened. Now they're talking about now that it's done. You know what I mean? Like, it's such a... It was just such a play. Which it was. It was literally was. It was a play. People fucking love it, though. Well, what I love, I will say, you know, the famous Alec Baldwin, put the coffee down, coffees for closers scene is fucking amazing. Like, I can watch that every day. Okay, well. I mean, have you seen that? No, maybe once in the 90s, but no. Yeah, no, it's it's great. Um, it's 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 pretty awesome. The thing I will say about it is what I, that I discovered was that whole Alec Baldwin scene was written for the movie. It wasn't in the original play. Because hmm. the problem was the play, it wasn't long enough really to make a movie. It came out to be like 70 minutes. We need 10 more minutes. They're like, we need a little bit more if we're going to like put this out as a movie. And so the playwright wrote this extra scene where Alec Baldwin comes in and just like reams everyone out. And it is like, and you know, ironically, it's the best part of the movie by far. And it's what's, it's become iconic. It is pretty great. All right. Well, I'll give it a whirl. Yeah, I'll find that. Well, just, you don't even know what, the thing is you'll, well, what happened to me is I watched the, uh, you know, the Alec Baldwin's thing, saw it on YouTube, and I was like, this is looks fucking awesome. Okay, I'm going to watch the whole movie. Oh, it's on Netflix. And I did watch the whole movie on Netflix. Although, I mean, it was okay. Not as, again, as a play, it was pretty good. You know, some character-driven, dialogue-driven oh, storytelling. Damn it. So, what do you expect, yeah. right? But, you know, it is very, it is very like, oh... You know, it has this just this weird random like jazz score that they insert every once in a while, like between little sections of the story. And it's just like, yeah. So reflections in this movie. Oh, you're OK. I was wondering if you were going to go there. Lay them on me. I did not look at anything like that while I was watching it. So, well, there's nothing like usually when I'm looking at mirrors or windows or whatever, it's in an effort to. <laughs> Like somehow discredit the movie from a production standpoint and give it the business. Right. And I did that a couple times, but then like the first time I noticed a mirror was at 2549. This is right after Henry gets shot. We cut to the interior of Henry and Sarah's apartment and she's on the phone sitting there in a chair in like, I guess it's their bedroom or maybe their living room. Looks kind of like a bedroom, but like in the whole gigantic other side where there's a fireplace and a recliner. And there's a huge mirror, like a stand-up mirror, like a dressing mirror where you stand there okay. and you fix your tie and shit, which is what makes me think it's in the bedroom. But you you can hear a fireplace going, but you can only see the fireplace perfectly reflected and framed in the mirror. So she's on the right side of the frame. And this giant stand-up mirror is on the left side, and the fireplace is just kind of roaring away over there. Actually, it's not 2549. It's uh, much earlier than that. It's at uh, 1215. Oh, yeah. Um, No, 1222. Sorry. And it's like, that was the first mirror I noticed, and like that's when her life has just turned upside down. So their last name is Turner. You've got this mirror all of a sudden uh. taking up like a third of the frame, not quite, quarter of the frame, just kind of 
bam, right there. And it's even got the fire there. So you notice it like your attention is drawn to it. And it's like you're on the other side now. Things are different. Like everything else, you know, pre-gunshot, even though you're, you don't quite know it yet, this mirror is foreshadowing how their life is going to be totally flipped now. Yep. So at first I was just looking for people moving around back there like a boom or a camera guy or something. Right. Or Bob staring at me. But Yeah. And I was like, oh shit. And then they they're using mirrors a lot throughout this movie. Twenty five forty nine, twenty seven fifty five, thirty nine ten, forty three forty nine, one oh seven fifty one, one nineteen thirty seven. They're everywhere. Some of them are windows, but like when they go and look at the new house, that scene takes place mostly outside the house and they're framed. Again, very similar to this in like this, the top of the window is arched. We just see it through a window and we're on the outside looking in at them and there's a reflection between us and them. And now they're on the other side of that reflection. Had to be on purpose. Yeah. I'm going to use this as the answer to part A-N through A-Q of question seven. (laughs) Mirrors. Okay. Got it. Got it. Yep, you're welcome. So how about when he first, he gets back, he's Henry Part Deux, and he and Annette Benny are getting along good. They're getting along really well. And I thought for a second we were going to see some action on Annette Benning there with the shirt. Yeah. No dice. Didn't happen. Then they do it. He's very nervous because he had the weird-ass experience. Exactly. Talk about weird tonal things that happen in this movie. Hey, it worked for Taxi Driver. Let's put him in an X-rated movie. Right. There's a scene where he just wanders into an X-rated movie theater (laughs) and, like, sits in the seat eating his, like, I don't know, Snickers Snickers bar. Snickers bar or something. Just watching a porn. It's like, first he's like, oh, wait a minute. This isn't... And he's like, well, okay, let's watch this till the end. I'm here now. Yeah. Yeah, so that's weird. So he got some information there. You know, he had to work up to, you know, back to intimate relations with his wife. So at least he had something to go on there. But then afterwards, they're in the bed and she's just playing with his chest hair. Were you like fucking grossed out by that? I wasn't necessarily grossed out by playing with the chest hair. But why was he drenched in sweat? Maybe they were doing it all night. Well, that's the thing. Like, it seemed like this was it's I mean, again, It seemed like, oh, this is like the next morning. The light is starting to softly come through the window. Pan down. There they are. She's asleep. Oh, it's totally the next morning. But like he's there's still huge beads of sweat like all over him. Yeah. It's weird. That's what that was what I thought was weird. And yes, it wasn't that she was playing with his chest hair, but his like matted down, super wet chest hair. And, you know, again, talk about production design. Like, that wasn't just like they didn't spritz him with water. There were, like, beads all over his body. Like, it was some type of, like, I don't know, special mixture. Like, it was movie sweat, right? <laughs> so, he was just so nervous still that she's there naked and playing, like, t- twirling her fingers in his chest hair that he's nervous and sweating still and yeah or just nervous nervous. he stayed up all night like there's a naked woman next to me (laughs) yeah i don't know i'm fucking grossed out by her like just having a free-for-all with that chest hair it's just ugh, hate it that that it's ah it's ah brad it's ah you like it 
I don't have a problem with it. So here's one for you. He repairs all these relationships with family. He gets a puppy. Yes. He brings puppy back. Now, earlier in the film, pre-gunshot wound, Henry Part 1, douchebag Henry, mm-hmm. during that time. Well, maybe it's right after he got shot, but he's he's not present for this. The daughter asks Sarah, right. can we get a puppy? Now that you yes. know, dad's a vegetable, can we get a puppy? Right. She's she needs like, someone. Right. Someone to love me. And Annette Benning's like, I don't know. Maybe we will. But yeah. shouldn't she have asked douchebag Henry, can we get a puppy? He would have been like, no, you spill grape juice on my piano. The puppy's going to pee everywhere. We got to learn to take care right. of our things. Shouldn't that have been better? And then he comes home with a puppy and it'd be like, oh, shit, you're starting to remember things. And you knew that was a nice thing you could do. Right. Well, maybe they just thought that would be too on the nose. I don't know. Or maybe there was a, uh, or maybe there was a scene that was was the guy on this on the cutting room floor since the movie's already two hours long, where she did ask him for a puppy. Or maybe we're just supposed to infer that you know she's eleven years old or whatever. That's not the only time she's asked right. for a puppy. We're supposed to, or assume, it's just like, a uh, show because I don't think he got it because of her. He no, got he didn't because he saw like the puppy, and again, it's a bonding moment. You know, it's showing oh the daughter is becoming happy. Because this is the type of home that will have a puppy in it and not be worried that it's going to, like, ruin their immaculate, super expensive house. It's like, yeah, let's have a puppy. Right. I just feel like she didn't need to ask about the puppy then at all. Like, eliminate that line. Right. Because, of course, she's going to like a puppy. She's, you know, 11 years old, 12 years old. What kid doesn't want a puppy? You didn't need yeah. it. I don't know. Nothing? You think it's fine? Um... I- it's not something I necessarily call out. I will admit. Because if you're going to put it in there, have right. it mean something. Well, maybe it just meant that they're on the same wavelength, right? She okay. wanted a puppy. He wants a puppy. They're both about the same age, mentally speaking. <laughs> it was a cute puppy. Yeah, sure. A little beagle, right? Yeah, beagly little thing. A little beagly little thing. What about, okay, how about just random things? He goes into an X-rated movie, kind of random. He's covered in sweat, kind of random. What about he picks up the payphone that's ringing when he's out on the street? It's Henry, and then they hang up. Just because, look how simple he is. He doesn't know yeah. that you don't have to bother picking up the phone. I think that's what that's supposed to show. It's like a, it's like a slight comic relief, slight showing like, yeah, he's like so ill-equipped to deal with like being out on the street in New York. And like he's, he yeah, he's, he's, he's a become car. a to use uh, to use your word kind of like yes like he's he's simpler now yeah see and those are the things that kept this movie at a solid sixty out of a hundred like just oh yeah he walks right into traffic and almost gets hit by a car <laughs> meanwhile he's going around and like performing financial exchanges for goods and services pretty effectively apparently he remembers where his apartment is and finds his way back pretty easily. You know, he fucking buys a puppy and carries it home. Like, but he, I don't know. That's just somehow there was like that last, they needed to get over that last little hump to really make this movie deliver a little better. Right. Yeah. And you say, I mean, I think, yeah, it was too simple of a explanation. Not an explanation, but too simple of a trying to characterize this. Like, oh, look, he's answering the phone. He doesn't know how to cross the street. But he bought ice cream. He bought a hot dog. He right. knew, he knew to take money with him when he went out. He bought mm-hmm. the two. He bought two dogs. One hot. One not. Um, 
Also, this kind of goes along with that maybe his rehabilitation was maybe too quick. And I know they wanted to get on with it and get into the meat of the thing. But like, so he can't read. He can't talk yet. And Bradley is teaching him how to walk. And he's like, yeah, stand up. And then you grab this thing. Now, move your left foot. Drag your left foot forward. Right. So he, right. he very easily knows his left and right. Just right. Oh, left foot. That's this one. Like, that seems like something, especially with a brain injury, that you might have problems with. Right. I know people in my own life, some of them very close to me who I talk to, some of them every day, some of them once a week, who have a problem not like – well, just distinguishing between left and right, like the word, oh. like the actual word and associating with which one. Like it doesn't occupy that. It just isn't there. It's not immediate. You know, they have to think about it. And But he knows it just instinctively. That was too easy. Yeah. No, you're I mean, should have just pointed, move this foot, you know, it's easy yeah, things. Well, it's they like, do kind of show that even though he is getting rehabilitated, like he does kind of make these breakthroughs. Like, he's not literally having to learn from scratch everything. He just kind of has to have it jarred, right? He kind of makes these big starts. And, like, he says, right. Ritz, Ritz. And then all of a sudden he can talk. Right. He reads, you know, the Ajax. And, and now he's like, I can right. read. Aj it says Ajax. Right. Ha ha. Like, you know. Squirting it around everywhere. It's like, don't get that in people's faces. It's a fucking yeah. chemical. But, okay. And, yeah, Sure. But, but also, because you. Like, you know, in a, in, a, in just five minutes previously, movie time, he's like, can't you know? They're like, point to the triangle, and he can't do it. And those kinds of things have to be deliberate. Like the reading thing, fine. They spent time. The daughter is teaching him. Sure, maybe it happened too fast, but at least it was deliberate. The left and right foot thing wasn't deliberate. Just it was just written that way. Move your left foot forward. Move your right. They, there wasn't any time spent on, like, do you know your left or your, or your right? Like, you have to be deliberate about it for that to work. Right. And, again, that's one of those intangible things. Like, like if the lighting is a little off in a scene, you might not be able to notice it. But subconsciously, it does register. And, like, it makes the scene, like, it drains away a little of the authenticity of the scene. And, like, it doesn't, it doesn't sell itself enough to you. Like, these little things add up. I think that's where this movie, like, its uh, its tomato meter got drained off. Every time a little shit like that happened, right. just kind of leaks a little bit of it off. And, and there's too many of them. You can get away with one or two, but they were kind of adding up. And, like, accidentally overheard conversations were apparently a big <laughs> plot device in this movie. Because he says, I don't know those people, and they're... His family's standing behind him when he says it. Oh, right. That's true. Okay. Okay. And then their friends at the party are like, oh, and he's an imbecile or whatever. It's like, right. Oh, they're broke and they're, and they're standing right behind them. It's like the reveal. Oh, shit. And uh, maybe that was it. But there were two and it was like, oh, shit. Mm -hmm. It's kind of major. Just kind of funny you would use that convention twice. Yeah. Yeah, Vincent Canby of the New York Times described the film as a sentimental urban fairy tale that, quote, succeeds neither as an all-out inspirational drama nor as a send-up of American manners, end quote. Hmm. It's pretty good. I can get behind that, I think. 
Peter Travers of Rolling Stone. Stone. <laughs> yeah, oh, wrong one, wrong podcast. But that's a whole other podcast we no, could do. Completely. The different. Rolling Scones. The ro- Rolling Scones. Uh, P- Peter Travers of Rolling Stone described it as a slick tearjerker that has a knack for trivializing the big issues it strenuously raises. Wow. However, he praised Ford's performance. Okay, so he's with you on that one. Yeah. I wasn't as sold. The film currently holds a 46% on Rotten Tomatoes based on 28 reviews. Ouchie. Only 28 reviews. You're right. This is a forgotten film. Well, I guess, I mean, how does Rotten Tomatoes do that? They just go back into the archive to try to find who in 1991 reviewed the film? Yeah, I guess, I guess. It was, it's harder to dig them up. Yeah. It gets 6.7 stars on IMDb. So IMDb is a little more favorable yeah. to it. And that's, well, I mean, again, on Rotten Tomatoes, that's the... Um, that's just that's critics. The critics. Yeah. But the, here, let me here, go to it. I'm about to bring it up. It probably got, yeah, 64% audience score. So 64% about the same of just then. people liked it. Only 46% of the critics did, though. Harrison Ford isn't playing Henry Turner. It's probably a 5.3. Yeah. Yeah, Harrison Ford. But, you know, Annette Benning too. She's not a lightweight. Well, it, here she was, right? No, okay. Postcards I mean, from I don't the know. Edge, Again, I'm not a drama critic. Yeah, she's But she's around. able to lend some some something to the role. Like if it was just random 90s unknown actress woman. I just meant from like star power but i guess she yeah. was in uh she was in the great outdoors the grifters postcards from the edge so she had some she had a resume i guess by this point yeah who is the other person i keep forgetting who's this was their first role obviously the daughter uh bruce altman it was his first right. role didn't you say somebody else too well leguizamo yeah leguizamo okay what's funny is bruce altman graduated from Whatever acting's Yale acting school at thirty five years old. He's never too late, man. No, it's never too late. But he graduated in nineteen ninety at thirty five, and then he got this. Well, he went to Yale. I guess that's going to turn a casting director's head. Suppose, but he's had a good career off this. Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. How do we? Uh, how do we wrap this up, Brad? Anything else you want to say? Do you want to talk about the uh, fanciest camera move in the whole movie, which is when they go to the credits as they're walking away from the boarding school? Oh, because I was like on a crane or something, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, it was. It's on a big old crane, huge old jib arm, and then they jib down as they just as they walk past and then they fade to black. So here's another. Okay. They didn't clean up the leaves. Like, this kind of fancy boarding school would have had those leaves cleaned up. Maybe they just fell that day. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) All of them. Yeah. What's something else? Well, I just was remembering another another stray thing in the movie that I was confused about. Did Annette Bening have a job in this movie? Yes. She was, it seemed like... uh, Maybe half step up from answering phones again. Maybe that's what she was doing because the because there was that whole discussion how she should be a realtor or whatever for fancy yeah for fancy pants lady 
pants. for Fancy Pants Real Estate in New York. And then she's later being like, oh, I found a perfect place for us. But but she was never seemed like she was depicted as having a job, except there's one scene, one scene. where like she's on the phone like at some job and is like, yeah, I'm not going to be home late. It's like, wait, you had a job? Right. You were depicted this whole time as like, well, we don't have money because Henry's not working. I'm... You know, she she was just, it was just never a style. It was again a weird, out of place thing. She had a job which had a computer and a huge window on at least the second floor overlooking some part of Manhattan. So it's not a totally shitty job either, because in fact, it might even be a corner office. Yeah, yeah, it is a corner office. But you know that place they had is humongous with twenty foot ceilings and whatever. So. Like, one job ain't going to cut it. Yeah, her job isn't going to cut it, right? Uh-uh. Yeah, I would say that. They'd still have some money problems. There's different least... definitions of, like, poor to right. them. But at the same time, if it's not that much money, I don't know. Yeah. But but so that, but so that this whole thing with her being a realtor, though, plays into what I, what, what, what I think is my last comment on this is... So you mentioned the last scene. They're walking away from the boarding school. They're a happy family. They got their dog... You got you got Henry, Sarah, the daughter, Rachel, Rachel, and Buddy. And I and one of the things that I was just wondering is like, you know, and I kind of wondered out loud to Christine was like, well, what what happened to them next? To who? To them. To who? Christine, my wife. Ah, you might know her. Shit. She um but, you know, and, and, you know, I was kind of asking because, you know, hey, I would, you know, the way he kind of rebooted his life, I'm like, you know, I could use a life reboot, mm-hmm. but it's like mm-hmm. I can't do it. I, it's almost like I needed to get shot in the head to do it. I want to do it without being shot in the head, you know? That's pretty extreme. You don't want to have to go through all that. Right. And so I was kind of like, what? Do you want me to shoot you in the head? No. Okay. I want to figure out how to do it without being shot in the head, but... And so part of that, I was just kind of like, well, what happened to them? So I'm not going to shoot you in the afterwards, head, Afterwards, right? They rebooted their lives. He left his job, but now here they are. They have no money. Their daughter is not going to, like, the greatest school ever. But I guess they'll be happy. But, like, what's really going to happen to them? And, you know, Christine, I thought rather uh, astutely and wittily mentioned, well, Annette Benning becomes the real estate agent, and they become the family from American Beauty. Right. It's kind of there. You got the dad, Annette Benning, the realtor, the single daughter. Mm-hmm. It's, it's it's a spiritual sequel yep. to this movie. And then it's like, my, how the tables have turned, and she becomes like obsessed with her job and more materialistic. Yeah. And, and starts affair. fucking the other realtor yeah. or the whole thing. King of you know, real it's, estate. It's, none of it's meant to last. Mm-hmm. The happiness is fleeting. Well, then what's the point of the reboot? Brad, if you can't be happy where you are, what you are doing, a life reboot may not exactly help. Well, you're right about that. These are the days, Brad. Look at this. Right, exactly. These are the days, which is why I got to reboot it now. (laughs) Right now. All right. All right. I'm going to go do that. Do it. Bye. 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 